0: today we continue on in uh, uh first Corinthians just by way of announcement that we'll be gone the last two Sundays of the year. So uh, Jeff will fill in it for me uh, the third Sunday or the last is it the twenty fifth, whatever it is, Sunday, Christmas Day. He'll be uh, and then we'll only be having uh one service on uh, Christmas Day. Keep that in mind too, the ten o'clock the eleven o'clock service and Jeff will be speaking and then uh, but the Tyler will fill in the next week. Praying for them, and they prepare. First Corinthians chapter ten. We will spend actually uh, one more week in chapter ten before we move on to chapter eleven, just because there's there's a lot of good things here. We want, especially when it comes to living in the New Covenant and understanding what the law of is for the Christian in the New Covenant these are things that we want to just go through and not be in any big hurry. Last week we dealt with uh, especially how the Lord's Table plays into all this. We saw that the Lord's Table is a commemoration of our participation with Christ's death and resurrection. Our baptism is our initial public profession of union with Christ. We're very happy to be able to have the baptism today. And this, of course, is one of the things that we do. He is be professing publicly uh, that he is now a follower of Jesus Christ. Right? He's been united with Christ. Communion is an ongoing statement of our union with Christ in his body. Baptism we do once. Communion we do as often as you do it. In our case, we do it once a month. And then we saw that we should not over-realize the table. Neither should we under-realize it, as if it, uh, as if reminding, well, first of all, over-realizing the table, we, we said, is to think that it does more than it does. The mass, you might say, is the ultimate over-realizing of the, uh, table, as if they believe that Christ is actually being sacrificed. Others See that as we participate in a physical action that God infuses some measure of grace to us they call it a means of grace and we, want, we don't want to over-realize the table but we don't want to under-realize it. We are accused as Baptists for instance of under-realizing the table because we simply say it is a memorial service which Christ tells us it is. But But that's To say that that is underrealizing it as if reminding and refocusing in a public proclamation is not that important. I don't think that's underrealizing it because it's important for us to keep, never keep before us who we are in Jesus Christ and who we are with one another, right? But those are things we have to uh, be careful about and then since we profess to be one with Christ, it would undermine our profession when we participate with things that speak of idolatry and worldliness. We'll deal a little bit more with that today. What our bodies do in, is part and parcel with our identities as Christian, and we might say with our inner man. One cannot sin with his body without sinning with his inner man as well. So we are not dualistic. We don't think that, well, that's really the matter what I'm doing outwardly. As long as my heart is right, you no, know, it matters quite a bit, but your body doesn't do what your heart does not want it to do. And so as I say we're going slowly through this passage because Paul is summing up all that he has been saying when it comes to how we live as Christians, uh, with each other, and how we live as Christians who are not under the Old Testament law, but now are free to serve Christ and not to serve sin, we serve Christ in a new and living way. Now, when I say that we are not under the Old Covenant law, I do not mean that we don't know what our law is, that we're not under any law. I'm saying that we don't live under, we obviously know that much of the Old Covenant laws were pictures and types of Christ, are fulfilled in Christ, were no longer under those things. But obviously there's much in the Old Testament, and certainly in the Mosaic Law, that gives us insight into what the Law of God is. But the, the Ten Commandments, minus the fourth anyway, gives us great insight into what God expects of us, how He wants us to live. We, as we went through many of the Laws of Exodus, we, we, we saw principles. For instance, the Old Testament Law makes it very clear what God thinks of homosexuality and sexual perversions, right? So there's great, there's things in there that apply to us, but we're not under it as a covenant. We are under the royal law of Christ that is summed up in loving God of all of our heart, mind, body, and soul, and our neighbor as herself. And as as I've said before, we'll get more into this next week. I think um, verse 31 is in one sense new covenant law. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Right? Everything we do is to give glory to God. And if you do that, you will be keeping the law of Christ. You will you will not be breaking the law of God if everything you do is for God's glory according to the revelation that we have. So this, you know, again, when I say that we're not under the Old Testament law, I I never mean to imply in any sense that we're not under law of God, the law of God. It is a way that realizes that the way that we're in now is a way that realizes that all things have been given to us to use the glory of God and the good of others. Yet this means that we cannot just claim the right to do as we please, even in lawful things, but must consider the ramifications of how it affects our brothers. This is kind of what Paul has been talking about these last three chapters, just because it might be okay to do something doesn't mean that every situation allows you to do that. If it, if it has some sort of adverse effect against your brother or sister, then you've got to stop and to consider that. I think as we read the text today, he gives a couple of examples that make that very clear. And we know that because we don't live in Eden anymore. We live in a fallen world. We live with remaining sin. We live with other sinners. And so we've got to consider things before we do that. We've got to sit there and think about, is this the right thing to do? Is my motivation right? Because we have that indwelling sin, that remaining sin. You can't assume that, uh, everything you do and think is the right thing to do. And, and I know a lot of Christians who, if they get a thought in their mind, they just assume that's God telling them something. Well, you're holier than I am because I have a lot of thoughts in my mind that I know good and well, God put them. And so we got to be very careful that we don't blame the Holy Spirit for putting thoughts in our minds. And the, the Word of God is how we guard that. And so I'm going slowly that we have time to mull through these things and hopefully uh, understand the principles uh, that Paul is showing us here that should become the way that we think every day. So there are two questions in our passage. What principle guides my purchases? And what about when I am eating at a lost person's house? Now we're going to have to obviously unpack some of that stuff. But um, both of these assume that some items and activities and circumstances can be controversial. In other words, when Paul says here, um, whatever is sold in the marketplace without raising any questions, or excuse me, eat whatever is sold in the marketplace without raising any questions on the ground of conscience, it immediately lets us know that uh, not everything is black and white. Right? We've got to stop. Consider some things. They have, there, there are some things that are controversial even among church family, and that's okay. There are some, some things have theological ramifications that have got to be thought about. If I do this, if I go here, if I say this, what are the ramifications when it comes to my family and my church family and my, the lost people, those around me, right? And so at some point, we have to be able to answer the question. How do these things apply today? Not just with meat offered to idols, because meat, as, as far as I know, when I go down to any store around here, I'm not eating meat offered to idols. And as far as I know, if I go to someone's house to eat, even a lost person, the meat is not offered to idols. Do any of you, if you any of you, go to a house to eat with friends, and you know the meat is offered to idols, right? So there's there's we we understand there's got to be a way for us to find the practical implications here. And one we one way we can ask this question today is to what degree do I make what companies do in making their products and with their what they do with their profit a matter of whether I'm going to buy from them or not? Right? So there's there's something going on here. This store, this person is going. It's it offering meat offered to idols, but
1: not always.
0: And Paul is saying, look, if don't ask questions, and then you don't have to worry about it. All, after all, all you're doing is eating meat, and we know that that meat is good no matter what's happened to it. And uh, one verse that kind of comes to mind, which is down here in uh, Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free, that is not free from the old covenant law, from the restrictions of the Mosaic law, he's made us free from that. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And of course, some were trying to say, "Well, yeah, you're, you're free from some law, but you still got to be circumcised." And Paul says, "No, you've been freed from that." Of so course, we know elsewhere he says, "Only don't use freedom for like licentiousness. Don't use freedom to sin. You're not free to, to you know, not sin. to not obeying God, not at all, right?" But, but Be careful too of not becoming, submitting yourself to a yoke of slavery over things that have passed away. And I think we'll see here that this kind of applies to what Paul is saying here. <coughs> Paul is speaking up in our text here. He says, when we see, um, we see it where he says, do not ask questions unless you are forced to. Don't tie yourself up in knots. About where your food comes from and who grew it or why they grew it, etc. Right? Certainly nothing, uh, if we under, even today, there's a, you know, I, I have a little after my phone, uh, public square, I believe it's called, where people who have a certain things that I would agree with, uh, that identifies their stores and they hope to go maybe go into different have certain agreement with them, right? For instance, I haven't, uh, I, I've never, uh, subscribed to Disney Channel. And at this point, I don't think I ever will subscribe to Disney Channel, right? So I don't, I'm not saying, it we'll, we'll cover this a little bit as we go along, but it's wrong to ask questions. And, and as, as Paul says, that if someone Says something, gives information, then you've got to deal with that, right? So I don't think it's wrong to boycott places, you know, within reason. But at the end of the day, you can't, you can't live in this world and boycott everything that you have a disagreement with, or you won't eat, or you won't buy anything, right? And so Paul's just kind of saying, take a step back here. There's nothing wrong, like if, if a, you know a company is using forced labor. Or child labor. Then, if I can, I don't want to. I don't want to participate in that. Right? I would. I would stay away from those kind of countries. But, but there's a point where we just can't know everything. Our lives are to serve the Lord, and we can get so worked up over things that mostly we can't do anything about anyway. And it is just impossible to get all the answers that we want that we would need. So that we end up not doing anything because we don't, we dare not make a move, uh, without investigating every last detail of every, uh, place that we interact with. And you just can't do it. Now, I think Paul is kind of showing us that. Again, think of the Roman world in which it would be impossible to work or eat at a place that isn't connected with idolatry in one way or another. And so we see that when we hear someone coming up with something new, we see an example of this, I think. When we, when we, when, there, there are, I think, people who tend to be immature in some ways, who every time they hear something new, they, they latch onto that, and say, "Oh, this is the next greatest thing, and, and, and their whole Christian focus comes, is wrapped up in that, and then the next thing comes along, and then they're after that. And, 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 and they ignore everything, they get all caught up in some of the latest thing, until something else comes along. And I think as we read slowly through this passage, we can hear Paul saying, let's keep ourselves centered and focused on the gospel and the ministry to others and not on issues. Are there issues? Yes. Are there issues that we have to deal with? Yes. But not everything has to be an issue of fellowship and, uh, you know, so that you can make every mountain out of a molehill. Now, that's, again, I was kind of raised in, in that type of fundamentalism where every issue becomes an issue of fellowship or not. And if, and if you don't agree with us, then go find another church, or I'm going to go find another church because everything becomes an issue. And Paul, it seems like he's just saying here, wait just a minute, stop. This can become a new kind of slavery here in First Corinthians or in Galatians 5.1. Uh, For instance, in verse 31, which we'll get to really next week, but when Paul says, whether you eat or drink, he's not, it's not, it's applied this way and that's fine, but the point here isn't first of all, if you decide to eat or drink, do it for the glory of God, because everybody's got to eat and drink. That's a given, right? Everything you do is to be for God's glory. In this context, Paul's why he says, uses the examples of eating and drinking is, I think what he's saying is, whether you eat or drink things offered to idols or not, do all for the glory of God. Because at at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. Have the right reasons for doing it. I I might have mentioned before how I used to have a friend in high school who uh, felt himself uh, someone who had insight into why people did what they did. He was always analyzing people, their motives. And so that's going to be a dangerous thing. And always, you know, just talking about analyzing everything that was going on to, to death and kind of making a pain of himself sometimes. Of course, he eventually went into psychology, but I don't think he ended up being a psychologist, which is probably just as well. But he, he, he would question everything. He would second-guess everything. Everybody what they did. He felt he had the ability to analyze everything. And I think that's kind of the problem that Paul is addressing. We need to be more concerned with whether something will serve the Lord and what my motivations are, rather than worrying about what everybody else is doing and whatever everything else is going on around us. Because what happens is when we begin to pry into the store's background, into somebody else's background, um, in this company, uh and all that, we 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 start to lose focus on examining my own heart, and we're worried about everything else that's going on around us. And that can be all sorts of problems. And so I, I hear in Paul's words here, look, well, worry about yourself and your motivations, first of all. It doesn't mean that you can't ask questions that you can investigate, but keep it in focus. Um <clears throat> So I'm not saying that we shouldn't be boycotting businesses at all, as I said. Uh, First of all, he says, don't make things an issue when there is none. Don't ask questions about this only to find out things you don't want to find out or know about anyway. So a couple of things here. It is okay to be innocent and not ask questions in some things. I mean, that's what Paul says, right? You don't have to make everything an issue. You just need to. Find something to eat or wear, you know, and so forth. But then that second question where where you're at at a lost person's home and they're in the same situation, you're not, he says, don't ask what what they're putting before you, just eat it. Make sure your children understand. Look, when you go to someone's house, well, it should should begin at your own house. If something gets put down before you, eat it. Don't ask about it. I don't don't care whether you like it or not. Nobody's interested in that. They eat it, right? Well, Paul says, look, eat it. But if that person makes it an issue, perhaps there's a a weaker brother with you, and someone says, oh, by the way, that food's uh, been offered to idols. They want to see what you would do about it. Well, now they've made it an issue. And now uh, you can't unlearn that, so you've got to do what your conscience dictates in that case. And so you kind of see here how he's trying to be balanced here. Since it is what you do with something that makes it sinful or holy, then just enjoy what God says. So what does he say here in uh, verse twenty-six? Um, after talking about don't ask questions about it. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The, the Lord has created this earth He created everything edible in this world. So, everything is there for us to eat and drink. But, uh, that doesn't mean that we we can just forget about everybody else around us. That some things have consequences. Sin has been introduced that can defile every good thing. And so you've got to stop and think about it. So we don't always have to make sure that an owner of that business... Doesn't have some evil thing in mind when he made that shampoo. Just wash your hair with it. Um, we don't need to know if he's a Mormon or if he's a devil worshiper. Just uh, clean your hair with it. Secondly, though, as we shall see in the next thing, if you are made aware of the fact, well, then we maybe want to stop to consider that. right? All of a sudden, you find out that this company is involved, you know, in uh child labor or perhaps uh you find out that uh, they contribute to you well know, this be outlandish Satanism, well yeah, then I'm gonna stop doing it. You know? I I, I you know it's been, it's been at least four years I got off of Facebook and I think at this point it's the right decision for me, leave. I don't because I see What's going on? And I don't want to be part of that. That's my decision, my conscience. I'm making, uh, in doing that, for instance. And so if something becomes a public issue, and and let's face it, there's a lot of things that have become public issues for political and moral reasons today that used to never be an issue, and that's just the world we live in. So if something becomes a public issue, perhaps when you wear that brand of clothing, everyone associates it with something ungodly. In that case I won't wear it lest they think that I support it. Again, the point is that I how I participate with the weak and especially the lost, uh what it does with the souls of men the because of Christ, I've got to I can't just even though that piece, that shirt might be a suitable covering for me if it states something that is a problem that dishonors the Lord that offends but needless, why would I do it? I think that's kind of what Paul is saying here. Again, the point is how I participate with those around me. We are free from these things, but with certain restrictions. And so verses 26 and 30 are how we are to look at those things that perhaps were once forbidden by the law. Twenty-six. Eat whatever is sold at the market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Now, remember, Daniel and his three uh, uh, friends refused to eat this kind of meat, but they were under the law. This was a this was an act of worship. This was something that that, that there was an obligation to them. Paul is saying now, those things things have changed, and, and, and what we eat doesn't matter. But that doesn't mean that. There are times where that might not be the case. Verse 30. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? And so again, why am I doing it? If I can be thankful before the Lord for doing this in my conscience, then it's not really anybody else's job worry. And that's true of all of us. Unless, of course, the Bible clearly says something differently. And so I, I try to show us how to think through these issues. I, I'm not trying to stand up here and telling you, making decisions for you, or trying to tell you how to make decisions, or, or, or what decisions you should make. I'm trying to give you principles so that we can make good decisions that honor the Lord. And so verse 21 isn't a categorical statement that you can't ever eat meat offered to idols, or something that is... uh tainted by whatever the the business is doing in some way, but to eat it in a place or circumstance in which we are involved in activities that dishonor the Lord becomes wrong, as we dealt with last week. When you go to a place where they are basically worshiping an idol, and you can be there, now you cross the line with your testimony. But since it was possible, some were taking this into the grocery store And making shopping a deep theological process. Because there were times where eating meat offered to idols was wrong, they just they they put themselves under this huge obligation and burden to try to figure everything out. So they were asking all sorts of questions instead of just buying something to eat. That's what Paul says. Just go in there and shop and get out of there and don't uh, make it a theological experience of some sort. I think that, again, explains verse 25 and 26. We almost have to assume that everything we have was made by lost people in some way for all kinds of wrong reasons. But those pe- those companies also hire God's people. A lot of God's people work, you know, are supported by those people, those companies. So, you know, if we don't have to make these an issue, let's not. If best we can now, I'm not saying that some people and companies are so openly given over to something that holding, withholding our business is not a good idea. I think it would be a good idea, as I said. But it has to be balanced with common sense and the Lord's overall work. And it, as he, Paul says here, it has to be a matter of conscience. It, no good would come if, if a church all of a sudden decides, okay, here's where you can shop, here's where you can't shop, this is what you can buy, this is what you can't buy. Um, well, I doubt anybody would stand for that, but uh, although there are some who don't mind that believing. But it, what's the point? We, we, we've gotten ourselves way off focus, right, of what we're here for. <clears throat> Another good passage, I think, kind of brings some of this stuff out. <clears> 1 <throat> Timothy 4, 1-5. through But the Spirit express, explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars, steered in their own conscience, as with the branding dollar. So what are they, these people doing? Men who forbid marriage, and advocate abstaining from food, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. So there we know, of course, some who have forbidden marriage, others who say, well, this food is off-limits, uh, for whatever reason they come up with. And, and what is Paul saying here? Wait just a minute. No matter what food we're talking about, God created that. And if I can eat that in good conscience, who are you to sit there and tell me why I can't? For everything, verse 4, created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. There's the parameters of everything that we do. It must be for the glory of God. And it must be done in thankfulness. We got to be able to do it in good conscience, for it is sanctified by means of the Word of God and prayer. <clears throat> in other words, it's not contrary to God's will. It, 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 you just read there in verse four, and I, I have a good I prayed about this, and I'm taking this seriously. My conscience is, is clear. Now that to me is practical. It is the reason you are using it that makes it profitable. Otherwise, everything is unprofitable and godly anyway. I don't care if you're getting the most, uh, finest kind of meat that there is available and that there's no pain of sin involved with this preparation at all. If you aren't doing it for the glory of God, if you aren't doing it in faithfulness, if your heart's not right, it's a sin, right? Because that's what matters. <clears throat> so the important question is not who made it, and why they made it, but what are you going to do with it? And so there is a legalistic mindset that people can fall into here with what Paul's saying. On the one hand, there were those who they asked no questions because they were going to do whatever they wanted to do anyway. They didn't care about anybody around them, so they weren't asking questions because they didn't care. That's that's licentious. That's that's a, a wrong, no doubt. They didn't care whether and if I. Help or not, <clears throat> but others were trying to swing the pendulum back to the instead of back to the middle, we're going the other way, and they couldn't make a move without hiring a private investigator to find out, you know, if this is this a good thing for me to have or not? And of course, today we save ourselves some time and money because we have the internet, so we can do a lot of investigation on our own. Of course, the problem is, uh, half of what you read on the internet, baloney anyway. And I certainly know many Christians who have said a lot of stuff on the internet that turned out to be a lot of awkwardness. So that's no given, even that. But we do have the opportunity to do some investigation. But we got to make sure that we don't let that become what our, our faith is all about. So Paul is telling us that there is a time in which it is okay and even necessary to forfeit Christian freedom and that when it hurts a brother or the cause of Christ, it's okay to say, you know, even though this is okay ordinarily, I'm I'm gonna let it go at this time. Mm-hmm. One more text here Colossians two twenty. If with Christ you died to the elemental principles of the world, of, of, the elemental spirits of the world, which I, I think the case can be made that it's a reference to the the physical the way that Israelites had to live under the law, everything was about flesh and clean, cleaning and what you ate, what you didn't eat. And if in Christ we have died to that, then it's all been fulfilled in Christ. Why do you live as if you're still alive to the world to submit to regulations such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used? We don't live under the law. Because we know that if I eat a place that hasn't been cleaned, it might not be the best idea. But, you know, that's my business. Under the law, you had everything had to be washed a certain way. There were regulations for everything. And Paul says, look, yes, we're not under that anymore because that's all physical things. They were teaching about spiritual things. That's what's important there. These have indeed uh, in, an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, things we've already talked about, and severity to the body. And how many people have made Christianity those about all about those kind of things? It's a self-made religion, or asceticism, or someone sits on a pole for several years, uh, they... They, they mistreat the body because they think that somehow that makes them holy. No, all that does is, is uh, hurt and, and make scars. It, it doesn't make you holy. And, and, and that's why he said it's stuff made religion. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Because that is a heart. My, my flesh does what my heart tells it to do. And so refraining from food and drink and this or that isn't what produces godliness. He is saying that not letting your body do things actually doesn't produce holy living. It isn't that discipline isn't part of following Christ. We saw that in chapter nine, did we not? As Paul talks about how he keeps under his body under control. But godliness can't be reduced to what you do or don't do. Only love can obey the law of Christ. There must be an eternal, internal, to me, conviction of love to Christ and love for others that causes me to do what I'm doing. And, and that's what's so important. And that's, again, new covenant living, law keeping. And so the second issue he brings up is when someone makes this a test of our faith, makes it public. you've gone, you're eating at somebody's house, it's either the host or maybe somebody else says, oh, by the way. And now all of a sudden you've got to do something with that. Not because anything's changed in the food, but because perhaps they're wanting to see what you do. They've made it an issue. And it says, okay, it's time to back off and, and, and just not, not get involved with in that. So, for instance, you're at the wedding and they're about to make a toast with champagne and you don't have a problem with that, but say, you know, you're sitting across some, a, a brother or a sister who just really struggles with that, and you say, look, I'm not, I'm not going to make this an issue, right? And you don't have any, because what's important here? Now, it might be a good thing, an opportunity for you to help this person maybe talk those things out, but you're not going to sit there and become a, a, a stumbling block. And it's not hypocrisy. Any more than Paul was being a hypocrite in chapter 9 verse 20 when he says to, I'm, I'm all things to all people. It's to say, look, these are things that I'm willing to give up. I'm not going to offend people if I can help it in, in any given occasion. But we are not to let somebody else be our conscience either. And so we need to be careful trying to manipulate others by pressuring them to do things as you see. That, that always seen as the weaker brother. And so verse 27, says here, um, if if one unbeliever invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So again, a very similar theme. Don't ask questions. But if he goes on to say, um, if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it because they've made it an issue. It has become an issue. In that particular case, and so, um, and by the way, the, the, notice here a little something about biblical separation. If you are eating at an unbeliever's house, biblical separation is not us refusing to be around lost people, even maybe eating with them. Uh, you know, we are here to minister to lost people, to to reach lost people, right? Primarily, biblical separation obviously is keeping the world out of your heart and its influence. But biblical separation is separating from people who profess Christ but don't live like they profess Christ. That church discipline where you disfellowship them, that, that that's separation, not, not being away from lost people necessarily. Although obviously there's times where we have to separate from them as well. But I think that's just something to keep in mind anyway, let's 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 bring this to a close in verses twenty-nine through thirty. Because these statements, you've got to stop and think about this because it sounds a little uh, uh contradictory. So he says, Do not eat it for the sake of one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience. Now, again, the the, the verses were not inspired, somebody did that, and I think best way to understand what he's saying here is to put the first part of verse 29 to verse 28 and the 29 really should start at where it says for why should my liberty be determined by somebody else's conscience so let's read it like that and I think this will make a little bit of sense so he says I do not mean your conscience excuse me um, let's start reading verse 28 but if someone says to you this has been offered in sacrifice to do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. So, in other words, because he would be offended, because he wouldn't understand what you're doing. That's the time to lay off of this. It's the end of the thought. Verse 29 then should be, or the next thought should be. For why should my liberty be determined by somebody else's conscience if I partake the thankfulness? Why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. So, he's not turn around and saying that um, my con that, um, you know, he didn't say, look, for conscience sake, don't eat that. And then turn around and say, well, um, why should I worry about what someone trying to impose upon my conscience. That, that's why I think it's better to see 29 starting uh, there at word 4. So what he's saying there in verse 29 then would be, uh, basically, we could read it like this. Um, Your conscience is clear, and, are, and you're thankful to be able to eat it, but in this case, somebody thinks it's idolatry, and so I will not force my freedom when it is not helpful. So verse 29 is saying, why should I make my freedom an opportunity to be slandered? Even if they don't understand what they're talking about, I don't want them to use my conscience and, and what I'm doing as a way to dishonor the Lord if I can avoid it. And So I think that's kind of the thought there in verses 28 through 30. Well, let me close with just uh, skipping down to chapter 11, verse 1, because chapter 11, verse 1 really should be in chapter 10 anyway. Paul finishes this thought with saying, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. How did Jesus live out what Paul is saying? He came to a lost sheep of the house of Israel to seek and to save that which was lost. And when he, in his ministry, walked around and ministered, he offended the Pharisees all the time. So he wasn't going to let somebody impose upon him their ideas. He was going to do what was right. And he didn't walk around living just to make sure he didn't offend anybody. That's not what Paul is saying. He ate with prostitutes and other social outcasts because he was revealing himself to them as their savior. He didn't walk around worrying about whether he was offending everybody. He served the Father and it was always going to offend the world. Our concern should be should concentrate on edifying God's children and presenting Christ to the lost, and that's going to mean we are going to offend many people. But when it comes to one another, we need to be able to stop and say, look, you know, I, I've, I've got to figure out a way to show love and to help and to edify each other. We want It's okay to offend the lost if it's properly done, but we don't want to offend each other if we do Neither do we want to be so weak that we are easily offended by things that we can't support from Scripture. So let's not tie ourselves up in knots by making everything a mark of faith, but instead understand that we have been freed from the law so that we can serve the law of Christ. Now that that takes a lot of thought and discernment. The things that I've said means that. Everything's not black and white, and I've got to stop and think through things, and that's okay. That's good spiritual exercise to judge your motivation. Why am I doing this? How will this serve the Lord? How is that not a good thing? Right? It's hard. It's difficult. It doesn't please the flesh. Doesn't make things easy. But we've been called to to serve serve the Lord. Uh, To serve the Lord. And so, let's not be afraid to do a little work, right? Well before we have our baptismal, is there any question?